Turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of Mark. Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6, and I'm going to be reading verses 7 through 13. Mark chapter 6, verses 7 through 13. And this is where, if you want to hear from God... And you've been singing, speak, O Lord. This is where you hear God. You hear Him in His Word. Mark chapter 6, beginning in verse 7. This is the very Word of God. And He called the twelve and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not put on two tunics. And he said to them, Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. And if any place will not receive you, and they will not listen to you, when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet, as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Would you pray with me now? Almighty God, we praise you that you are a speaking God that you reveal what you desire, that you reveal what pleases you. You reveal how we ought to live and what we ought to do. Lord, I pray that we would honor you according to what you have said, according to what you have revealed. That's why we've gathered here this morning on the Lord's Day as we celebrate Jesus' resurrection from the dead, as we recognize your great sovereignty and lordship over all the kings of the earth, over all the rulers and principalities. You are Lord of all, and we want to acknowledge you this morning that you are that God. Holy Father, we thank you for your great mercy to us here in this province even as we see the transfer of power, the move of even our provincial election, the fact that we can have peace, the fact that we have not received the judgment we deserve, we thank you for your mercy. Oh Lord, we pray for Premier Danielle Smith and her cabinet. We pray that they would walk in righteousness and that they would govern in righteousness. Lord, we pray that they would flee from wickedness and unrighteousness. So we intercede for them, even as you have called us to do the same. Lord, there are many things going on that are of concern to us. And yet we see your hand of mercy in the things that trouble us. We, we thank you that there has been rain up north and that some of the fires have subsided. We see that as a token of your mercy that we don't deserve. Even this day that we can gather here in freedom and be able to worship you, we see it as a mercy from you. 
Lord, we thank you that the gospel sounds forth from this church and from many other churches in this city, from Fairview Baptist Church and Redemption Church North and Redemption Church South. And we thank you for the gospel ministry going on in Cochrane, for Grace Cochrane Church. We, we pray, Lord, for that congregation this morning, even as they are undergoing this vote, voting on the candidacy of our own Josh Carey, we pray that you would give that congregation great wisdom, that you would give the Calvary Grace elders wisdom, even as we oversee this process. And we pray for Josh and Julie through this process. We pray that you would guide them even with your strong hand, that you would comfort them, but that you would glorify yourself even in and through their ministries. We thank you as well that by your mercy we have the gospel going forth and you are raising up new workers for the harvest. We pray for D.J. McLeod and Jared Harfield in their candidacy as elders at this church. We pray you guide them and guide us as collectively we seek to know your mind, Lord. We pray for them, grant them mercy, and protect them from the schemes of the enemy. We thank you for the ministry of this church, the fact that the gospel goes out. We thank you for the ways in which we serve, not just even in our own neighborhoods, in our own city, but the way that we can contribute to the advance of the gospel across Canada. We thank you for the 25 pastors and their guests who were hosted by our church this week, uh, the Gospel Coalition Canada Council, and how many people volunteered in this church to provide hospitality for those meetings. We pray that those men would walk in righteousness and truth, give them courage and boldness in this difficult and challenging season that we are in. Lord, in the midst of all of your mercy, we see such grace, such goodness, such delight. We praise you for all of the upcoming weddings that are being planned. Lord, we rejoice to see people getting married. Uh, it is such a blessing. And we thank you as, as well for all of the babies being born. We pray for even those pregnant women. We pray that they would be just know your comfort and your care for them, even as the weather gets warmer. Lord, we ask, Lord, that you would continue to bless our church in these very practical ways. Even as people are coming to our church wanting to know about Jesus Christ, we pray, pray that they would come to a saving knowledge of Christ. We pray for conversions, true conversions. And we pray for people to be baptized and brought into membership. We thank you for even that process going on in our church. Lord, there are so many good things going on, and yet we come with laments for those who are lost, those who are lost in our families, at our places of work, amongst our neighbors, people that we know. And we do pray, Lord, as the time is short, we pray that the gospel would go out and it would be received that it would be received by sinners in the heart and that you would cause those hearts to be born from above. Lord, we need you to do this work, but we ask for you to act. And do so now as we hear from your word. Challenge us 
encourage us and propel us forth as to be witnesses to Jesus Christ. For we ask this in his name. Amen. You may be seated. I've only been gone a Sunday, but so good to be back. Uh, many of you might know last Sunday I was preaching at a cowboy church service, which really isn't a church, just so you know. Cowboy church isn't really church. What it is is an evangelistic event, and I had the privilege of being able to share the gospel with a number of barrel racers and bronc riders and bull riders and calf ropers. They need Jesus too, uh, as you can imagine. But it was an opportunity for evangelism. Very thankful for that chance. And evangelism is, we could say, the human reason why you're here. Because someone, somewhere, somehow, shared the gospel with you. They, they let you know about Jesus, that Jesus is the Lord, that Jesus is the Savior, and that you ought to know what is required of you. Somebody said that to you, somehow. Maybe it was by your bedside, with your mother, or maybe it was on a walk with your father, or maybe it was in a coffee shop with a friend, or maybe it was reading a book given to you by a Christian, or maybe now watching a YouTube video that was sent to you by a coworker. Who knows how it happened? What was the means by which you heard about Jesus Christ? I know I was prayed for and drugged to church as a kid, but I was given a Bible by my granny for my birthday. And I started to read that Bible, and that was the means by which I started to know who Jesus was. So we see then evangelism involves people, people sharing the gospel. And the burden of evangelism, you know, the burden is that that good news is so good, the goodness of forgiveness of sins and being righteously accepted by God, even, even if you're an undeserving sinner, that, that's so good. The good news is so good that we want everyone to know it. So we feel that heart tug, don't you? You, you feel that tug that, that, that you want so many people to know the goodness of the good news. You feel it. And you, you see so many people don't accept it. That, as full as it is here this morning, there's still room. There's still room. There's still room for more to come in. And they're not coming. And, and people don't believe that this news is good. And they fear that such news is not safe. It's not safe for their cherished self-identities. And so they don't, they don't accept it. Now maybe you've wondered... Why is it that Jesus has delegated this out? Wouldn't it have been better for Jesus just to directly tell every person himself? You know, wouldn't that have been better? Wouldn't, wouldn't that be a better plan so that evangelism works? 
But then, of course, if Jesus was to do that, he wouldn't be a true man. Because a true man is limited by time and space. He was in Judea. In one place. He wasn't in Alberta. He was in Judea. Jesus, remember, he even, he even got tired just like you and me. Jesus wisely delegated this message of salvation to be spread through the apostles. And so there's this necessity of the apostles' mission. And that necessity begins with Jesus' own incarnation. So we could say that the Great Commission follows the first Christmas. Now, this morning, as we consider this passage, we're going to see this sending out of the twelve, the twelve apostles. Then we're going to see the central message of repentance and the limited witness that Christians are called to. Actually, I'm going to switch those last two around. We'll, we'll switch their order. But my hope is that as we look at this, what I'm calling a, a little Great Commission, or this first Great Commission, that, that you will be inspired again to share the gospel, to share the gospel this summer. This is the summer for you to share the gospel. Don't be content that the church is getting full. This is the summer to share the gospel, to bear witness to Christ's salvation, and to grow bold in confidence to speak the word of Christ while you can. You've got a window of opportunity. You want to be speaking about Christ to others. Now, the first thing we see, we come to Mark chapter 6, beginning in verse 7, as we're going through the gospel of Mark, the first thing we see is that when Jesus makes this little great commission, I'm calling it, he only sends how many? Twelve. Just seeing if everybody hasn't already fallen asleep yet because it's so warm. Imagine how they do it in Texas. I guess that's why they really shout in Texas. They got to shout to keep everybody awake. Us Canadians, oh, it's a little bit warm. I'm getting sleepy. Or at least that's how I feel. Um, it's the 12 they're called. The first apostles were known as the 12. Now, the list, it's not recorded here in Mark 6, but the list of the 12 is in Matthew 10 in the parallel account. Matthew 10 and verse 2. The names of the 12 apostles are these. Matthew 10, verse 2. First, Simon, who's called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas, and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, Simon the zealot, and Judas Iscariot who betrayed him. Interesting because it's, all of this is recorded after the fact so he can editorialize Matthew can and include that. That Judas would be the one that would betray them. Now this little great commission, with this, Jesus signaled that something new was happening. It's new, but it's still echoing something old. Can you imagine what is the old thing that is being echoed? The twelve apostles echoed the twelve sons of Jacob, who eventually formed what became known as the twelve tribes of Israel. 
You maybe have heard of these tribes, the 12 tribes of Israel. No Jew who would have seen this group of apostles would have missed the connection to the patriarchs of Israel. So in a certain sense, the 12 apostles were, let's call them, 12 patriarchs spiritually begetting a new nation. They're all Jews, certainly, but they're laying a foundation for a new people made up of every tribe and every tongue and every nation. And so this is why, this is very important, this is why the argument that some churches make and preachers on TV make, the argument that there are apostles today, why that argument is false. The argument that even that these unique sign gifts that the apostles had are evident today, all of that misses the point of the uniqueness of the apostles. They were unique. They were foundation layers. And in this founding initiative, they functioned like 12 pillars or, or patriarchs. So it's really important for us to get this. Now, if you think, man, I don't know about, I'm not sure about that, that 12, 12 and 12 connection. Well, you know, if you doubt it, the book of Revelation says the same thing. Because the 12 apostles are grouped together with the 12 fathers of the 12 tribes. So Revelation 21, speaking of the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, and on the gates, verse 12 of Revelation 21, on the gates, the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. And verse 14, the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were written who? The 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. Interesting. That when it comes to laying foundations... The apostles are included with the foundation laying of the very 12 tribes of Israel. Now, if there's a word, uh, if I was to use the word that I'm going to say here in a moment that is probably the one that could get me into the most trouble today, it is the word patriarchy. Right? And, and all of a sudden, I see lots of antenna going up. What is he going to say about that, that maligned word? But here the Bible does describe a sort of a patriarchy. It's not maybe the patriarchy that you're thinking about necessarily, but the, in the church, our patriarchy is rooted in the appointed delegates of Jesus Christ. Put another way, you could say that the apostles are the founding fathers of the church. So there is an appropriate patriarchy that we need to recognize. Now it makes sense. There's other elements that can be described or connected with the rule or the, or the leadership or governance of fathers, certainly in the home. And we certainly even see that in the description of elders that we've been talking about. 
There's elements these ways. And, and like anything that humans are involved with, these things can be abused. These things can be marked out by sin. But it's important that at a church level, there are fathers who are the founding fathers of the church, spiritually speaking. And that's the apostles. And that's why the idea of there being apostles today is completely misguided. And I know there's people, there's, you know, people who love Jesus that, that disagree with me on that. But the problem is, if you start relaying foundations, then you're starting new religions. And that's essentially how it's gone through history. Now, Mark alone records that these guys were sent out. Duo, duo. Two by two. Now, he doesn't use the term apostle, the Greek word apostolos, which, which means basically a sent one. That's used in Matthew. In Mark, he uses the verb apostello, which is just to send. So these ones who are sent, they're sent out duo, duo, two by two, in a series of twos. Now, as I was prepping this, I was reminded even in where we live in High River, there, there are folks who belong to a religious group called the two-by-twos, or that's how, they're, that's how people describe them. And if you haven't heard them, don't go looking it up, don't go getting into it, just leave it be. I'm just saying there's people out there. It's an anti-Trinitarian cult that started in Ireland, and it's just another example. If you can take a good thing, the idea of evangelism and going out two by two, and if you fixate on it too much and you ignore other truths, it'll actually divert you away from being solidly on the Bible. And that's what happened with these folks. They, they saw a method of evangelism. They put their identity into this method of evangelism. And all the while they're doing that, they lost the evangel. They lost the Trinitarian gospel. They lost it. Now they spread heresy. But just because the cults, and you can think of you know, our Mormon friends going two by two, or Jehovah's Witness friends going two by two, just because the cults have used this two by two strategy, never forget that it was Jesus himself who instituted this with a certain degree of wisdom, sending out pairs to spread the gospel. You don't have to go out in pairs. You can go out by yourself. You can go in a group. But there's a wisdom to it. Pairs, when you go out with someone else, just one other person, it's just not as intimidating when you go to talk to somebody. You know, you, when the big group shows up, you know, and sometimes on a campus or something when there's a big group of Christians and then they are going to talk to that one atheist, the poor old atheist, you know, it's like just surrounded, you know. It's, it's, it's too much. But having somebody with you, it offers mutual support in sharing the gospel in ways sometimes when you're by yourself, you, you feel, I, I, you know, maybe you don't have the words or not sure what to say, and then you've got somebody with you and they can kind of fill in the blanks. I'm just going to suggest that the summertime is a good time to follow this pattern so you can start thinking about who it is that you could go with and you could go and do 
some evangelizers. Share the gospel with people. Who, who is it that you want to go along with? And start thinking about who would you want to share the gospel with? Who would you like to go talk to? And maybe bring along a friend from church. I mean, maybe, maybe even, even today, maybe at the back, I've, I've tasked Ole, he's going to give out if you want them. There's, we have gospel tracts. As you leave, if you want to take some gospel tracts, I mean, you could do something like you could go to the Lilac Festival on 4th Street this afternoon. You could hand out some tracts and share the gospel. Talk to people and share the gospel with people. You can be creative. Maybe take somebody with you. Go two by two. Now, in the case of the apostles, though, they were uniquely sent by Jesus. Notice Jesus, verse 7, had given them authority. Authority over the unclean spirits. Exousia. They had authority. So this was a special type of commissioning which we don't have. He gave them authority over unclean spirits, over demons. I actually heard a pastor recently make claims about believers having this authority today. I disagree. I don't think we have the same authority as the apostles did. But the authority that believers had have is that we can declare the gospel and the gospel is the means by which someone, even someone with an unclean spirit, would be born again, would be saved. So we have that authority to consciously and confidently and competently declare the good news of Jesus Christ. And it is by that means that people are saved. And if Christ sets you free, you will be. You will be free indeed. So, further then to this uniqueness of these apostles, how they were received was directly tied to Israel's reception of their Messiah. So that's what's going on here. See, how were these apostles received by Israel? That's the, that's the question. So Jesus then gave them very specific, very unique instructions. Look at verse 8. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not put on two tunics. And he said to them, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. Now, this is pretty different than ministry today. At Calvary Grace, uh, we might be a little slow in taking 16 years to put in an RRSP program for the staff, but we still think it's valuable. Uh, We're slow on these things. But the apostles had no social safety net. Their physical needs would only be met by others who valued Jesus as the Messiah. It's people who valued Jesus as as a Messiah. If they didn't receive Jesus' message in that way, then they weren't going to receive or support or supply the visiting apostles. That is what's going on, is whether or not Israel, these Israelites, these Jews... We're going to receive their Messiah, and in turn, these, the Messiah's delegates. Now, this is very unlike the traveling philosophers in the Greek world at the time, or even the wandering prophets for hire in Judea. 
these apostles were not allowed to go to an area and then try to mooch off as many homes as possible. They, they weren't permitted to do that. They, they couldn't drain one house and then go to another house and then drain it. They're supposed to stay put in one, one house as kind of their base for a region. And it would have been a house, a home, where they had been welcomed because people are doing it because they love Jesus. Because they believe in Jesus. I mean, I had to think about the many times at the farm when a traveling salesman would show up at the farm just at lunchtime. And he shows up at lunchtime with the hopes of getting invited to sit down and eat my mother's excellent cooking. And you just knew. You're just like, set your watch by it. Oh, it's 11.45. Look who's rolling in. Right? And you know what? They're, they're coming for lunch. That's what they want. The sale is just you know superfluous. One of the themes that we're seeing in the Gospel of Mark is the way that Jesus was received. How was he received? And the apostles' reception was an expression of that. How, how they treat Jesus is reflected in how they treat his servants. And and that's true today in a certain sense. How do people receive the apostles' witness? This is, in a sense, how do people receive the apostles now? How do they receive their witness in the Bible? You know, do they do they receive it as the word of Christ? Uh, in talking with these pastors on this this council meeting, one of the comments that I made and was echoed by others is just the the low view of pastors in our society. Uh, I looked at one survey, it was a Canadian one, Um, pastors were ranked 21st of 28 in in terms of being respected as a profession. So pretty, pretty low, low down there, below journalists and lawyers but above members of parliament. (laughs) As Jesus said in John 13, 16, He said, Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger, or even literally an apostle, greater than the one who sent him. And then in John 15, 20, if they... Jesus said, if they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. And yet, Jesus, we're told in John 1.11, He came to His own, and His own people did not receive Him. So as we come into my second point, which is actually the limited witness point, The reception of the apostles' ministry was a big test. It's a test. That's what's going on in Mark 6. It's a test. As verse 11 of Mark 6 says, If any place will not receive you and they will not listen to you, when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. See, the reception of the apostles was a big 
test to see whether or not people would receive the authority of Jesus in their lives. Would they accept the authority of Jesus? Would they receive Jesus' authorized messengers? Would they receive Jesus' authorized words? Would they receive Jesus' authorized patriarchy? Would they receive Jesus' authorized foundation? Are they going to accept that? Are they going to take that? The big test is true today, of course, because many, many people talk about Jesus, but they reject the testimony of the apostles in His Word that has established the foundation for this new spiritual nation, even the church. They reject all that. They say, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Even in, right now, this so-called Pride Month in many places in North America, we have people who claim to be receptive to Jesus, but they reject everything and everyone that Jesus has authorized. They don't accept Jesus' authorized word. See, if you reject Jesus' authority, and this is where then it gets a little bit more personal, if you reject Jesus' authority, you reject Jesus. You just reject Him. You can't say, oh yeah, well, I like Jesus. No, if you won't accept His authority over you, you are not receiving Him. If you want Jesus as Savior, you cannot reject Him as Lord, as owner. That's what it means to say He's Lord. He owns He is the Master. He is your Lord. Now, when we see this big test, it explains for us a typical excuse which many people bring up, and you've heard it before. They'll say, yeah, Jesus Jesus is good. I'm okay. You know, what's the song? Jesus is still all right for me. Only the old guys laugh. But I'm not interested in organized religion. That's what they say. I'm not interested in organized religion. This is too organized. Oh, you're in a building. You've got to sit in pews. You've got to stand up, sit down. It's organized. I don't want organized religion. religion. Jesus is okay. And yet, think about Jesus' authorized organization right here. There's an organization that he's authorized. Twelve messengers sent two by two with specific instructions about their apparel and their sports system. If you reject that, then you reject Jesus' authority. And this is why we study the Bible. And this is why it matters what Jesus said. But it also matters what Jesus, His authorized messengers said. See, you can't have Jesus without the church. You can't have Jesus without His Word. You can't have Jesus without this organization. So part of the witness of the apostles was to see how they were received and to see that as sort of a a barometer or a thermometer, if you will, for how people received the message of Jesus Christ. They they accept the take in the apostles, receive them. It shows they're receiving Christ. If they reject the apostles, they're rejecting Jesus. Now, this is where Jesus' instruction, I think, it might be a bit surprising. 
Because he said that if the apostles were rejected, then verse 11, he says, when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. Now, in one sense, if you read it like I did, it it seems maybe a bit terrifying. Like, Like, imagine this. The authorized messengers of the Messiah they're going to get turned away from your home and they actually leave. They leave. They move on. And they leave you to your own devices. And yet their leaving is a testimony. It is a testimony. When they walk away, symbolized in this shaking the dust off their feet, They are pronouncing a testimony, an indictment, a verdict. It is a verdict, a ruling that is pronounced against these rejectors. Imagine that. You've got the chance to have the apostles come to your house. You're like, nah, I don't really like, I don't want Jesus as my Messiah. I'm looking for a different Messiah. I don't want you. And they walk away and they leave you to your own devices. It's a judgment against you. But what's also striking, I think, is that the witness of the apostles was limited. It was limited. How was it limited? Well, I mean, they, they, they freely offered the message of Jesus, but they didn't force it on anyone. They only stayed if it was received. They didn't stay until they'd forcibly converted everyone by sword or by coercion. They took the rejection as a signal to give a verdict, to give this testimony against them and to move on. And the, So then the message of the gospel was offered in a limited witness because the message needed to be shared with others who would listen. And that's just the thing. Like, you might be here this morning. I don't know, somebody brought you, you stumbled, you walked in off the street. I don't know. Maybe this is the first time you've been in a church, or maybe first time you've been in a church in a long time. And you can listen to the whole deal here. And you can listen, and you, you might walk out, and you'll be kind of like, take it or leave it. But let me warn you. When you come under the sound of the gospel... If this is the good news of Jesus Christ, if this is the true gospel that God has provided for your salvation and you're just going to walk out without dealing with it, woe to you. Woe to you. You you got this opportunity and you would turn away from it? What an awful thing. And that's the sadness of this city. It is a great sadness. That the gospel is available in Calgary. There's all kinds of folks. They don't want to give it the time of day. They couldn't be bothered. And so God will leave them to their own devices. Leave them in their sins and in their damnation. What a terrifying prospect. Now, There's one element, I think, that is 
helpful, at least for me, to understand. I think you will too. Even for the apostles in this little great commission, their job was not to save everyone. What a burden. Their job was simply to bear witness to Jesus and his message of good news. That's it. In other words, the results were not their responsibility. The results were not their responsibility. They were to testify, and they left the acceptance or the rejection of that testimony. They left that with God. How different it is from the way that people talk about evangelism today. Because, and I, again, I'm talking to these pastors this week, and I made this point. We're so muddled in our understanding of evangelism, we always think evangelism involves results. Church strategies are about results. Families want results so bad. They want it so bad that you'll see parents who soften the message of the gospel or water down the message or reduce the message because they want their kids to be saved. So they would rather give them a false gospel with false assurance and then have this veneer of false hope to say, oh, well, yep, they're going to heaven. My job's done. Don't have to worry now. But then you're worrying about results rather than being faithful. You see, we don't have to live under the tyranny of trying to save everyone. We are not messiahs. The apostles were not messiahs either. As commissioned by Jesus ourselves, we're called to testify. And if people receive that witness, we rejoice. But if they reject it, the testimony remains and we keep sharing the message with others who will hear it. We are witnesses. The results are not our business. They're God's business. What is then the message which the apostles were commissioned to testify, testify about? This is my third point. They were called to testify against sinners in order to call them to turn to Jesus exclusively. This turning is called repentance. It's just, that's all it is. It's just a turning. When you hear somebody talk about repentance, to repent is just a turn. Verse 12, so they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. In other words, they proclaimed that people should turn. Turn from the path they're on and turn to Christ. That's what repentance is. And this proclamation, of course, was the same message which John the Baptist had preached. And it was the same message that Jesus had preached when he started his ministry. He said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Never think that Jesus is just going to leave you in all of your sin and all your patterns and just leave you there on that path. No, he says you need to turn. You need to turn away from that and turn to Him. Now, the other thing is, maybe you're, maybe you're used to thinking, well, that message of repentance, that's the hard message. But actually, the repentance message was a message of compassion. Is that what you think of when you think of repentance? Do you think of that as a message of compassion? It's the message of mercy. 
It's the message of rescue and, and deliverance that said, death is no good. Death is no good. Being drowned in sin is no good. And so it would be heartless and cold and uncompassionate to leave a person in their damning sins. And this is what I want to say even to folks in you know, so-called LGBTQ lifestyles and so forth. It's uncompassionate to say, you can have Jesus and you just stay the way that you are. How uncompassionate. How heartless and cold. Instead to say, no, you need to turn from that to Jesus because He's full of mercy and compassion and love. So repentance was a generous, merciful message. And the proper response, the response of someone repenting sounds like this from the Valley of Vision. Give me a deeper repentance, a horror of sin, a dread of its approach. Help me chastely to flee it and jealously to resolve that my heart shall be thine alone. That is then that posture of repentance. This is what the world doesn't understand about our calls for repentance toward people involved in and supporting homosexuality, transsexuality, infant murder, elderly murder, and more. We're calling upon them to repent because it is not good for them. It's not good for them to remain in their sin. The sins are damning. Now, the the apostles uniquely had their ministry validated by their authorized ability to heal and to cast out demons in verse 13. The deliverance from demons and disease was itself an illustration of the need of repentance from sin. It's a turning from the old and a turning to the new. So, as we've seen, we see the uniqueness of the apostles. We see their limited witness, but we also see this message of repentance. And this first great commission, if you will, lays the foundation for then the big great commission, which you know from Matthew chapter 28, Jesus came and said to them, verse 18, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Just to wrap it up then, how do we apply this? Well, in my own experience, just to share a little bit, just recently we've had our kind of big rodeo season. I've shared the gospel with Mormons, with ex-Mormons, with First Nations folks from Siksika, from blood tribes, from the pagan tribes. I've shared the gospel with nominal churchgoers, people who claim to be Baptists but probably aren't born again. Just all these different opportunities. 
In that context, the context is very aggressive, but surprisingly not hostile. Now, that maybe doesn't compute, but what it requires is when you go into those contexts, and this might be your workplace or your friend group where it's aggressive, what it means is you have to believe what you believe. You have to have conviction about what you're speaking about. You have to believe it so that you'll speak up for what you believe. Because if you don't, they're already gunning for you and they will call you out on it. Because they know you say you're a Christian. They know enough. They'll call you on what you supposed to believe. And if you kind of backpedal and don't want to speak up and, well, gee whiz, I don't really want to say nothing, they won't respect you. But this is the way it's becoming in your life, in your workplace, in your neighborhood. You have to be convinced yourself. The problem with evangelism is not techniques. It's that we don't believe the gospel that we're sharing. And basically, we don't believe the gospel, so we don't share it. We're too chicken because we're not convinced of it. So actually, the issue is about our faith. You have to be convinced yourself because people will call you out on what you believe. And you either have an answer for that challenge or you just decide to dump your witness out of fear. And that's what's happening in churches across the city. People are deciding to dump their witness because they're scared of what people will think of them and they actually show that they're not really believing what they say they believe. They don't really believe it. This week, I made the argument to the pastor's group this week. And I do want to thank even the church for being able to host all those guys. It's pretty special. But, But I made the argument in one of the meetings. I said, we have to get back to the idea of witness versus evangelism. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm for evangelism. But evangelism has become so clouded in our minds. We have to get back to the idea of having a testimony and bearing witness to the gospel, testifying to the gospel. What do we do? We bear witness. It clarifies our understanding of church and state because we, we bear witness to the truth. It's not about us trying to try that we have to have all these results. We bear witness to the truth. It clarifies our evangelism. We we don't have to save people, but we testify to the gospel and bear witness and trust God to save them. It clarifies our, our family relationships. We don't try to feed our kids with false faith and get them to make false decisions and give them a watered-down gospel just to soothe our consciences. No, we bear witness to the truth and trust God to do a work in our heart. It clarifies our work relationships. It's not about winning the argument so much as testifying to the truth and letting it sit. The difference is that for Christians, we keep on bearing witness until we leave this earth and we shake the dust of this world off of our feet. And until then, we keep bearing witness to the end. We don't give up on people while we're still on this earth, while we're still walking the earth. But when we go... And it's a sad thing when the Christian in the family, when they pass away, and you think, wow, 
all that family, they didn't believe in Jesus Christ and look, the witness that they had and they still didn't believe, what a testimony against them. They need to repent. But I close by offering just four little practical steps for you to be very practical for this summer, even beginning today. Go ahead and get these tracks. That's the first thing. There's tracks in the back. We got, we got boxes full of gospel tracks. And you don't just give them to somebody impersonally and just hand them out, just to hand them out, make yourself feel better. Talk to people. Master the track. Know the gospel. Know what it says so that you can, off the top of your head, you can share the gospel. God, man, Christ in response. The, the teenagers in my class this morning were articulating the gospel very succinctly and very clearly and accurately. And if they can do it, you can do it too. But you've got to know it first before you share it. Know the gospel so you can explain it to someone. And you can share them and then you give them the tract as a reminder of what you said. First thing. Secondly, make a habit of bridging to the gospel in your speech with Christians. I've said this many times. You will never share the gospel with a non-Christian if you won't talk about the gospel with Christians. This is the, they're, they're on your side. They want to talk about Jesus. Make a habit after church of trying to make a bridge from whatever you're talking about to pointing to the gospel and talking about that with a Christian. It will develop your muscles, your skills to be able to bridge to the gospel with anybody. Build the habit with Christians who welcome the bridges and then you'll have confidence to build those bridges with people who maybe don't welcome it. Thirdly, straight up, have you repented of your sin? Have you repented of your sin? You're going to call other people to repent of their sin? Maybe you're walking a double life. If you're walking a double life, you're not going to share the gospel with anybody. You need to repent of your own sin and be clear in clear conscience before God. Fourthly, are you on the lookout for non-Christians? The non-Christians whom God has brought into your sphere of influence. Maybe it's in the courtyard at church, or someone in your workplace, or at your store, or at a party. Are you ready to share the gospel with them as you're able? Bearing witness. Planting Christ's flag and calling them to it. You need to come to Christ. Look for them. Anticipate that. And if we do this, friends, then we would be taking up our commission from God and then we, as the apostles did, and as Christians throughout history have done, we would bear testimony to the gospel just like somebody did to you. Make it so as we go forward. Let's pray together. Almighty God, give us courage to share the gospel today and in the days ahead. But Lord, first, cause us to believe it. Help us to truly believe it and then share it with that confidence. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand as we respond in worship. Friends, the letter to Jude says this, Keep yourselves in the love of God waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt, 
Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others, show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Friends, we have a mission. Let's go out and bear witness. Go in peace.